we talk about in terms of being on teams, we've got a we've got a large number of them, but we're all leading we're all leading teams, and we've got teams of teams beneath us. And so, in terms of the staff team initially, just speaking at that level, is that the kind of thing you? Um, we speak about deep and wide. So, the, um, in our context, five purposes of church: uh, membership, maturity, mission, ministry, magnification. All different um, purpose areas in church life, all staffed by different people. But as the mission person, I need—I'll I'll certainly be going deep in my area. But the the danger in that is you become uh, blind to what's taking place in every other area. And there's a—you can see there's a there's a profound problem in that for the whole um, of the organisation together. I need to be aware somewhat of what's going on. What are the big things for maturity that they're working on? What are the big things for membership that they're working on? Insufficient for me to simply be deep in my own area. And, and the reason for that become apparent, when you are struggling for resources, as you always, I think in every growing church, you will be struggling for resources. So, I mean, as a brief illustration of that, I, I work with a few guys across different congregations. My role is to help them think through their work in their congregation. Our night EV follow-up work, because uh, it's a night congregation, always suffers because in, in f- follow-up of new Christians, you need um, mature, able people. You need your best Bible study leaders working on the follow-up of new Christians. But in our night congregations, by the time people are good Bible study leaders, you know where they are. They're married with kids and they're in the morning. They're not available to lead at night, necessarily. And so how do they deal with that particular issue, given the fact that the maturing ministry want the best leaders for their Bible study groups? I need to be somewhat aware of what's going on in their area. They need to be aware of what's going on in my area. Neither of us have got dibs on that is the way we've worked it out. So we need to negotiate. Um, We need to work out what's the best way in which we can get some economies of scale going on in that. And so we talk about both deep, I'm working hard in my area, but I'm... I've got a cognizance of what's going on in everyone else's area as well, and that's that's simply one of the necessities of team. Um, uh, I guess one of the other things that, that strikes me is, um, as a member of a team, um, but one who's leading a team, we need to push each other to do the hard-headed analysis about what's actually happening in our area and have the courage, it seems to me, to measure, to actually take real measurements. So... How many people am I seeing being converted? Um, since that's my core business, since that's what I really want to see happen, how many people am I actually seeing converted in the ministries that I've thought for you know, 15 years are really valuable to do? It may just be that I think they're valuable, but they're actually producing no fruit whatsoever, and I need to shoot something, kill it, and move on to something else. But, but we'll never know that unless we actually do the hard-headed work of counting it and working out, are there sticking points and problems in it? Uh, are, are there other people on the team, that is, on the staff team, who can help at that point? Are there other ways in which I can work with membership on that point, or in our case, maturity on that point, to get by a sticking point? Um, but, but it seems to me one of the one of the real difficulties, and I wonder if you've encountered it, is you can you can be busily working away at doing stuff that actually, if you analyse, it's not really productive. And we just don't have time for that. I don't have time for it. So we measure everything, yeah? 
we, we work through what are the key health indicators in the area that I'm running. How many people am I seeing in every year engage with the gospel in a meaningful way? How many of those people are making it through to follow-up? How many of the people who are doing follow-up are being converted? Now, at that point, it can sound, it can sound to you perhaps just a little bit mechanistic and, and there'd be something that's unspiritual about it. Um, and, I, and I wonder if that struck you from time to time because um, you may well say God's sovereign in the area of conversion. I can't control that. But I actually can, to some extent, control the number of non-Christians I engage with. There are things I can control. And so at that point, it's worthwhile for me to work out as a member of a staff team that has a responsibility in a particular area, what are the things I can control? How best do I grow those? Recognising God's sovereign and will do what he pleases in other areas, but there are things I can manage. There are things I can, in fact, control. Um, so there's some hard, hard-headed analysis I think that's actually required um, and uh, I think, again, as a, as a member of a staff team, this is the kind of thing you want me to talk about? Yeah. Um, uh, again, the kind of stuff that I reckon you can bring to a staff team, you, I always want to have in my head, and I want the guys I'm working with to have in their heads, what's the next thing? Um, what's the next thing that we seek to be working at? Which translates to everything about the shape of your day. I never want to wake up in a, of a morning not knowing precisely what I'm seeking to accomplish during the day. I don't want them waking up doing that. Um, I want them to be thinking, what's the next thing that we do? So we began to implement the next thing that we were going to do. We'd been planning it for a couple of years and we implemented it and launched it and then we, we've had to pull it. <laughs> we decided not to, to go ahead with it this year. But it's the next thing we're going to be doing next year. Um, and so... But that, that actually was born because there was a necessity, a team necessity, that I wanted to run with something in the area of evangelism. We're about to launch a giving campaign. Will my launching of a new event overturn the, um, the airspace required to, for the congregation to get their head across a giving event? We met together, we discussed it. And as a team, I, I may well be committed to my deep thing my pursuit of the ministry, the mission objective. But the bigger, most strategic thing for us at the moment is if we don't do something about the space we meet in, we'll plateau in our growth, we'll not continue, we'll, we'll begin to dive in our growth over the next couple of years. We need to make sure we hit that strategic objective and other ones therefore need to stand aside for it. So that's, it's part of being a team and it's part of being, I guess, perhaps another illustration of deep and wide at that, that point. Um, I think I've suggested I always want to know what the next thing is to do. I reckon I want to wake up every morning knowing what are the things on my plate that day and can I accomplish them. And I, and I guess in speaking to my guys, I'm, I'm talking to them about there are always maintenance things to do, things that you need to do in order just to keep the ministry ticking. But I want them always to be thinking what's the next thing we do that's a building thing that will enable us to grow or have greater capacity for or do something that we haven't yet clicked into yet. So um, there's a difference between being in maintenance mindset and being in building mindset. And uh, you want to make sure you're doing both. Maintenance is necessary, but if you're always maintaining, you'll never, you'll never grow anything. There are key things in church that you'd do if you did nothing else, aren't there? So, so, so there are things that you'd make sure you hit 
if you could hit nothing else. The maturing ministries work, I mean, I'm guessing from everybody, they are clearly foundational ministries. But the evangelism ministries are clearly found, their core ministries to have up and done. So at least in your head, if you were just a sole operator in a church, a small church, whatever it might be, anywhere, I reckon you'd have to have clearly in your head, there are two areas that we must resource, we need to grow, um, and therefore, what are, the str- what are the strategic decisions I need to make in those things? What are, what are the things I need to get off the ground in them? Now, that, I guess, prunes back on a bunch of things. So you might live with the band for a little while. It's, it's not fantastic. It's not as great as you'd want it to be. Um, you might live with a welcome ministry, and I guess that's a difficult decision because you need, when you're a young church, you need a decent welcoming ministry. Um, but there are some things, I think there's some things that you would leave go for a little while, recognising down the track, that's the next thing we need to do. But here's a key and crucial decision strategically we need to make now. Uh, the, the thing we... Now, this is not trying to sell the... Mat- we, we call it a matrix, right? This is not trying to sell our matrix model of ministry. Um, but, but, the thi- but it helped us know where we're going and, and then we worked prior to... You know, resource-wise, we can only do... I think, I think most ministers can only hold in their head two, maybe three priorities. So you're either, you're either a passionate, maturing um, mission guy or you're a, a passionate church service magnification um, ministry guy. Uh, you'll only be able to do two. You won't, if you're doing those ones, you won't do welcoming ministries at all. It'll just... And you won't do much training. <laughs> um, so... You, Every one of us can only carry two or three. It's making sure you've thought through really clearly what those two or three are that will make, that will provide the foundation and base to get to the next ones. So that's yeah. So we we, we had the slots. I knew what I knew the next plan for thirty years. I've got the thirty year plan worked out. I just and I know which spots I'm going to fill next. And I'm just I'm looking, and I'm proactively pursuing. So when we started, yeah, we compromised on music. It wasn't great. But I had in my head, I'm looking for and I'm wanting to raise up the guy who can fill that spot. So we got him pretty quick and I invested a lot of time in him to get him doing what I couldn't do. Um, yeah. Because I'm hopeless at that stuff. But I knew what I wanted and I just had to find the guy. Yeah. But, but if you haven't thought through the strategic process of where you're going, where you want to be in five years' time... You won't be now proactively seeking to get the things filled to get there. You'll, you won't get there. And so I do keep hear, hearing guys complain, oh, you just don't realise that our context, you can't, you know, we're, we're really stuck because of... And I kind of go, well, whose responsibility is it to fix that? You just can't be a victim. <laughs> um, yeah, sure, there are circumstances and we don't want to overplay it, but... Be proactive, take charge, yeah. Be responsible, get it happening. Mm. I don't say it for you, Dave, because I know you'd be aware. There are some issues, there are some areas you need to staff early, otherwise you, you just don't get that kind of DNA into a congregation. So we have congregations that aren't strong in mission and uh, they, need, they need help quickly before they grow too much further um, because we want that kind of stuff in at the on the ground floor. So uh, we staff maturity and mission from the outset and training from the outset. Mm. 
But we didn't staff membership from the outset. And then we had a decision, of course, about do you employ a youth minister or a children and families minister? You might make different decisions there depending on what area you're in. You know, what, what's, the, what's the demographic? What are the kind of people I'm fishing for? But we went youth. Well, yeah, we didn't employ a Sunday school person for a long time. Is that yeah, what you mean? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, because, and that was because we were able to, to hold it. It was a massive need, but people were... It was working, and I knew I could hold it together with gaff tape for a few more years uh, while we got the other ministry up and going because I knew that if we got the youth ministry up and going and the night EV work going, then we'd have a flow-through that could come and staff that. So I just held it together and... Lots of complaints, people left. You know, it wasn't a disaster, but, you know, it was a lot of anguish and I just held it, yep, 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 bit more gaff, blue tack, <laughs> and we, yeah. <laughs> we got some gaff, we got some in the car, we'll give it to you the gaff tape, yeah. <laughs> it's Craig, he's the gaff tape. We actually have often talked about leadership creep. Uh, it might be just worthwhile to say about that, that as you... As you grow in your own ability as a, as a minister of the gospel, you, your expectations of what other people ought to produce grows as well. Now, that's certainly been the case for me. And, and, and there's, a certain, there's a certain pride that can come in that because, uh, see, I'm, I'm self-trained theologically, and so you have an expectation that other people ought to be able to do what you've done. They can't always. And so your expectation of a growth group leader rises. Andrew's been very much better at this than I've been, I think, in, uh, in terms of um, starting a ministry that is planting it and turning it over to someone so they, they take it and let it go. Because your expectation is the kind of person who can do it keep rising. So there's, there's been a necessity there for me, for some big ministries, to find people who've been capable um, and take a risk. Uh, so Andrew's done that, I think, very well over the years. Our growth group, growth group's where it happens for us mostly. We, uh, we started leading growth groups when we were 18, 19. You know, and you look back at what we were when we started, and nowadays we'd never dare have one like we were. Now, isn't that interesting? And that's, stopped, that's holding us back. So that you're, you know, the standard of who can enter into growth group leadership is now very much higher which means the potential pool of who can do it is very much lower, so you're stuck. And so you've got to keep actively pulling the bar down, pulling the bar down, and, and managing risks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that is a real, a real challenge. What risk is one that's an acceptable risk? Yeah. So yeah. We, we are in the situation, I'm not sure if you guys have encountered it, but we we're in a situation which I think every church gets into sooner or later and perhaps sooner where you need growth group leaders. You need them and you don't have ready-made people. Um, so what do you do? In the past, we've done various things. We've changed the model. We've run mega groups. We've run groups that... Have, I've had groups that have been 30 people. We've divided them up into three groups of 10. Not everyone can run that model. Um, so we have then had leaders who we figure with training can make it. So what are the things we can put in place to help them? Uh, my own observation for the guys who are running the maturing team at the moment is if we keep providing our new Bible study group leaders with all the resources to lead a Bible study, 
what will happen to them, not rhetorical, what will happen to them. Yeah, they'll leave them, but yeah, they'll they'll get lazier and lazier. Yeah, and and what is happening? I think with our, um, that's not me, is it? What is happening with our current growth group leaders is, I think they are getting lots of stuff presented to make it easy for them. So their own work in the Bible is suffering, and I think we need a two-tiered level, which we've now begun to implement. That the better leaders have less help. Um, the leaders that need more help get more help. So we're trying to encourage those guys to grow up, and it's a resourcing issue. Um, and part of if the, the, there's a principle here, and it, it's the principle is constant analysis, is constant looking at what's happening, regularly reviewing it, asking the hard questions, seeking to identify problems, solutions, yeah. and being proactive in pursuing the solutions. That's mm. that is everything we do yeah. uh, all the time. Yeah. I did share with one of one of the guys there over lunch, when, we, when we, our building began, um, so two years ago, extraordinary things happened at the level of our evangelism. So we had, um, we had 70 people investigate the gospel in the first term of that year, people who just flooded into church. But as we checked the, as we checked the kind of people who were coming, for the first time ever, the percentage of people who came by invitation from members of the congregation was less than the number of people who signed up just because they happened to belong to church. And I reckon that was dangerous. I mean, it's fantastic. It means there's lots of non-Christians coming to church, but not what I wanted to see in one sense because what it said was um, uh, if that continues, people will be more happy just for people to passively come along. And that's exactly what happened. The very next term... The, um, though the building was well and truly open, our numbers on invites stayed down and we realised immediately we need to do something about that to make sure the congregation member who will typically think conveniently, this is all working well. I, I don't need to keep working at inviting my friends. It was, an, it was an analysis that we keep doing because we want to know what's the percentage of people who are invited and who mm-hmm. keep coming along just because they hear it advertised at church. So it is that principle of analysis. There is, I'm discovering, a power in the big church that is not there in the small church, which Reformed evangelicals haven't tapped at all yet. And we can do much, much more. Let me, I'll, I'll give you a thing. Um, when we hit about four or 500, our momentum for evangelism started to kick up further. Just because there's a... You're not now seeing one person converted a year... You're seeing numbers converted a year, which fuels a greater energy. You can't do that in a church of 50 people. So there was something about the size that we had that you couldn't have at 50. And so that alone makes it something to pursue. But then the, it's a question of giftedness. There, there is a... Um, we can all get better as leaders, but there is, I think, a natural ceiling that we all top out at. I think. I haven't done all the analysis, but I think so. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I think you've got to recognise who you are, what you can do, get better at it. And if you go, look, my natural top out probably isn't a thousand; it might be five hundred. Then I'll go and pump into every church I can and raise up church planters, send them out. Now we've gone both end because we can; we're bigger. There's a power. We can we can offer a greater breadth of ministries and a greater quality to those ministries that churches around us just cannot come near. Um, 
It's fantastic. Uh, there's all kinds of benefits and pluses that have made it worth us. So we're now pursuing the giving campaign to raise for a thousand seat auditorium. Um, now that's scary. Do you know what church has done it? Can we do it? I don't know. And I'm somewhat, just privately, I'm fairly nervous. But, but I don't want to die wondering. Do, do you know? Um, because there is a chance we can under God by his grace, and so we're going to go for it. We could get 10,000 people in church on the Central Coast. Imagine that. Imagine the impact. Let's do it. Yeah. I'll just comment on that quick before I, before I take you there. One of, the, um, one of the issues we were discussing in the way in which I don't know that you addressed there earlier, Andrew, is there is a financial reality whereby to to plant and build lots of small churches is actually much more expensive than to plant, a, to plant and build a big church. Actually, when I say big church there, I mean the big church building. Uh, we, were, we were looking at the figures there the other night that one of the churches in our area was, it was something like, was it 30,000 a head? Three million bucks for 100 people. Three million bucks for 100 people, 30,000 a head. Um, but if you, we're trying to build a church for, it's going to house a thousand people. The the numbers required come down to I think we were talking about three and a half. Was it two? Three, two. Yeah, yeah, three, three two. two. Um, it's pretty efficient. Pretty efficient. Yeah. Which, which simply means it, it is a matter of giftedness. It is a matter of giftedness. But if if you're one who can grow a larger church, then financially there's a financial mean means go and do it if you possibly can. Now, of course, not everyone can, but. The money obstacle will be one that will, if it's going to stop us from reaching Australia, then we need to address that one and say, if I have the capacity to do it, I need to work out how do I manage the resources I have so that we can. Yeah. And if just let me hit it on again. I hope I'm not repeating myself. What I worked out um, was that uh, there are these financial things, there's the realities of Paul's. We need to skill up to grow up bigger than we can otherwise grow it. Because we're really the thing stopping it. There's no other reason why it will stop except that we don't have the leadership skills to do it. So, go and skill up. <laughs> yeah. we, we were very generous in the early years. No one escapes EV now. We don't let anyone go. No, no, it's... Um, we, we figure if we, if we create the culture of this is about Australia, not just the Central Coast... Um, and the world, we, 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 but, but I, I guess I'm particular. Craig's the world, I'm Australia. If, if we keep creating that culture of this is bigger than just 300,000 people here um, and, and keep investing the gospel vision of God's big purposes, then what we're finding is that there are ones and twos each year who are growing up saying, I can't stay here. You know, so we're losing one of our best young men to plant a church south of Sydney and he'll leave a big hole but it's been his energy and passion for it it's not been us putting the hand and saying you should go and it's because I dare say because Craig others we've built this culture of this is about the whole of the world um, and the central coast is only one part of it no 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 we haven't not that you well I haven't have you <laughs> no but if we don't have people saying we need to go I reckon that says there's a problem with yeah, what we're doing. Good, 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 good. Um, yeah. So yeah. we'll keep analysing to see if we're not seeing anyone, yeah, we haven't got the culture proper. 
But it is at the moment. I mean, there are, we're having to put the hand on some shoulders and say, you do need to stay. So I've got another young guy who's very, very good, who's leading some of our ministries, and I'm, I've been holding him and saying, I know you want to go. Give us another three years. You know? And he spoke to me just last week and said, look, I don't know if I can last the three years. And I said, oh, all right. But that's the, I think the culture's there. Yeah. Um, but you've got to keep some of your best. You, you, you've got to keep some of your best because... Some of these guys will go and plant a church, it'll get to 200. If they stick with us, they'll help us get to 3,000. So just numerically, they'll add 1,000. Do, do you know what I mean? But how can you work all this out? So you just let God do it. Which means it's not laissez-faire. Well, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not just laissez-faire. And so what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I want to stay, I want to go. There are some people you will persuade for strategic yeah, reasons. It's worthwhile to stay. And some you can't hold. God's in control, and yeah, so yeah, you yeah. let them go. We've not done that. That's that's one of the things we quite clearly critiqued. Was that um, the way Americans think about church and small group life is very different to us, and I think it's across the board. I, I, Oh, you know, there's the Dever and others who are perhaps doing it very similar to us. But, but they think about small groups as just a small group, which is a community group, whereas we think about it as a prayer Bible group. It's a maturity group, and that's been our history and heritage, which has been good. They've got big problems because they think of it the way they do. So the, the Willow Creek thing, it, you could be the car mechanics group, and you just got get together to share your group passion for cars as Willow Creek. Whereas, no, 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 our, our small group is, all our small group ministry comes under the purpose of maturing and we don't force our small group ministries to do much more than mature, think about mission and do some membership. We, don't, we make sure we don't try and make them, the leader of the small group, carry the burden of all five purposes. Because I can't even carry the burden of all five purposes, you see. And so, so Craig's job is to kind of, keep working the small groups and keep them tapping away thinking mission, not doing mission. The groups don't go out and do mission, but they're thinking missional as people, Christians maturing, if that makes sense. There is a... Exactly. No, we, we tried that for about six months and it just didn't work. It was nonsense. Yeah. So we, we expect mature people to be at a church service, uh, growth group, and be involved in a ministry. That's about it. Just, just on that one too, Mike, there's a, there is actually a pragmatic difficulty, I think, in having your typical growth group as the evangelism group. Because, now I know Cole Marshall advocated in his book, and, and, and perhaps he can do it well, um, I found even leading groups myself, knowing there were people in the group who were not Christians, while you're working through 2 Corinthians, and you're trying to think, how do I address the need of the person? I, I know what it is, but the group wants to move on. Uh, and so you're trying to deal with the non-Christian here while the rest of the group is somewhere else. Once those new, newly converted people um, come to faith and join a Bible study group, they get thrown into a pool with people who are years down the track and have assumptions about Christian life that they know nothing about, they find it a bewildering experience to be in a group with people who have been Christians for many years. So 
we've kept them separate in that respect. So no, that's good. That's another process issue. We, we worked out too that um, one of the problems with churches, which has created nominalism, is that is that the way people get all the li- all the disciplines of the Christian life, the core aspects of the Christian life, is by osmosis over ten years. So they they come along, they hear someone just preach through another chapter, another chapter. It takes them years to work out. Oh, do you mean coming to church every week is part of actually God's purposes for me? Do you know what I mean? Because how many times do you preach on it? And if you're preaching on it every week, you'll drive around insane. So you you know you preach, and so. Someone can go for a couple of years before they hear that issue addressed in a focused way. And then they say, oh, you mean I should be giving 10% or more? Wow, I hadn't thought, you know. Or um, read the Bible every day and pray. What's that? Do you see, unless you're doing it every week, they won't hear it for many, many months, perhaps. And so we realise that we need to be more intentional about giving people those foundation pieces of the Christian life. So we started EV Startup. Um, which is where we embed in people as they get converted, as they come into church, all the foundational disciplines and core aspects of Christian life and thinking theologically, and it's transformative for them. So we're finding people come through this. They're not allowed into growth groups until they've been through this. They come into our growth groups much better informed. The heat in the growth groups rises. The heat throughout the church rises. There's just an informative thing. People are up to speed much more readily instead of having to wait 10 years to pick it up. So so we've thought through the process and been trying to be a bit more intentional about getting there. Um, But for your encouragement, this is its third incarnation. So we've tried various things. It didn't work. We've... Called get going. Once. We called it get going, and everyone figured it was, <laughs> it was the lash, the whip, and so. Then so we, we called it live steps, and then we yeah. So we've. So we keep tr- we keep trying at it because there is something valuable about having people in church knowing what you're about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I finish with just two minutes, and uh, and then I'll um, kick over to look. I, very quickly, um, can I just have a final impassioned plea? How do I turn this off? There we go. Um, uh, it's crucial that you get that we are about reaching Australia and not just pastoring your church. You've got to get that. You've got to get that. And you've got to get, I've got to get the awareness that the scale of what we're on about goes vastly beyond the present scale we're at church-wise. Multiple times beyond where we're at at present. Because if you can get the vision of... To get to... In our, on the Central Coast, 10% of 300,000, 30,000 people. We are seriously aiming at 30,000 people in church. 30,000. Now, not in all our church, but in our church, but 30,000 to get to 10%. I said a couple of months ago to our church that if you knew that a group, if everyone was dying of AIDS, let's say, and someone had the cure, what percentage would you need to hear in this region, you know, Africa, that the people with the cure were finally breaking the back of the disease? What percentage would you need to hear they were getting to before you felt that finally we're breaking the back of it? Not one person said 10%. (laughs) Everyone said, oh, 80%, 50%. Not one person even thought 2%. Do you know what I'm saying? If we can help people grasp that the nature of the gospel requires us to be thinking, not just, be, not, just not be satisfied with where we're at, 
but be in despair and anguish about where we're at and be thinking not just 10%, but be thinking 50%, 70%, and realise that 10% is just a way on to that path, that will help us get the scale. It'll help our congregations get the scale. It'll help us realise we really need to skill up massively and we need to do some hard thinking, hard questions, hard work. Um, but that's the gospel, yeah. It's uh, a lot at stake. Well, uh, Scott's about to just come and tell us something about Geneva Push for a few minutes. Um, but uh, Andrew and Craig, um, as you have come, you uh, and Andrew, you said at the beginning that you would you'd say some hard things and uh, you know challenge and so on. I've certainly been sitting there feeling challenged. I think uh, even if we're not like I'm an ordained Anglican minister in the Anglican. Canberra Goulburn Diocese, it's kind of a little different, um, but much of what you guys have said have been really stimulating, uh, I've been trying to think through how does it apply in my situation, and, uh, and I think what you're saying is not commonly said about this, idea, well, A, thinking big, and B, looking at ourselves and saying, well, how are we stopping you know, what's the problem that we've got, even in ourselves as leaders? And I don't think a lot of people are saying that. So um, can I thank you for that, for, for what you've um, challenged me in? But uh, it's been great, blokes. Um, uh, I think you've been terrific. All right.